thank you for being worthy of the worship that we can give. That as we just experienced in this service, we, we were giving praise, honor, and glory to someone who is worthy, someone who has done so much for us, and how thankful we are today to be able to give you that worship. As we open up your written word today, we would pray that you would speak to us from it, that you would challenge us, that you would convict us, and that your Holy Spirit would transform us into the image of Jesus, in whose name we pray. And all God's people said, amen and amen. I want to invite you to turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, Matthew chapter 4, and I will go ahead and apologize now to my high school English teacher, Miss Linda Lively, if she's by chance watching today, and for everyone else in this room who knows a thing or two about English, I apologize for the sermon title today, but I could not think of a better sermon title after studying than to title the message today, Ain't Nobody Like Jesus. I mean, I could say there is no one like our Lord, but ain't nobody like Jesus. Got a little bit more oomph to it. I think, I think ain't is in the Greek somewhere. I just hadn't found it yet. Ain't nobody like Jesus. Time Magazine did a publication some time ago of the 100 most influential people of all time. 99% of the people on that list had something in common. What they had in common was this. Upon death, their influence may still be felt but it begins to recede and decline. You see, there's always another influencer who comes along and does something greater than the previous influencer or extends the influence of that previous person. Oh, sure, Edison invented the light bulb, but GE made it better by putting it in a refrigerator where I can see what I'm trying to eat at midnight, amen? <laughs> they improved on it. James Naismith pioneered basketball, but Michael Jordan and the Arkansas Razorbacks yesterday showed us what could be done with it. Steve Jobs co-founded Apple and introduced us to the world of iTechnology, but, but Apple continues to expand their influence and, and make more products. Al Gore invented the internet. <laughs> Scratch that one. The point I'm trying to make is this. <clears throat> A person's influence eventually plateaus and then recedes. I don't remember, honestly, where I heard this several years ago. It's not original with me, but it stuck with me. Several years ago, I heard someone say, X number of years ago, the world had Bob Hope, Johnny Cash, and Steve Jobs. And now we have no jobs, no cash, and no hope. <laughs> yeah. 
Influence wanes, it plateaus, it declines. 99% of those people on that time's most influential list fit that category. However, there was one person on Times Magazine's list of the all-time influential people who was different from all the rest. He is almost always listed exclusively as the number one influencer on any such list. His name is Jesus Christ. For see, while other people and their influence eventually wanes after death, Jesus was different. In fact, he inverted the trajectory. His influence was greater a hundred years after his death than it was during his life. It was greater still some 500 years after his death than it was during his life. A thousand years after his death, his influence led to the foundation of much of Europe. More than 2,000 years after his death, he has more followers than ever. And understand, This man is nobody from society's perspective. There is no nobility in his birth. There is no royalty in his family. There's no rich heritage that he has. And in fact, he's only in the public eye for about three and a half years. Yet in a span of 42 months, Jesus is established as the preeminent personality of all time. He is talked about more today than ever before, and he has assembled a following that is larger today than it ever has been. And look at how it all started in Matthew chapter 4. We get this scene right after his baptism and right before he preaches his first lengthy sermon. Matthew chapter 4 and verse 12 tells us that when Jesus heard that John had been arrested, he withdrew into Galilee. And leaving Nazareth, he went and lived in Capernaum by the sea in the territory of Zebulun and Naphtali, so that what was spoken by the prophet Isaiah might be fulfilled. The land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, by the the way of the sea, beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the Gentiles, the people dwelling in darkness have seen a great light, and for those dwelling in the region and shadow of death, on them a light has dawned. From that time, Jesus began to preach, saying, here's his first sermon, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That's it. You're thinking, Pastor, follow his example. What a short sermon, right? Well, if you'd respond how they responded, I'd stop. But verse 18, while walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who is called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James the son of Zebedee and John his brother, in the boat with Zebedee their father, mending their nets, and he called them. Immediately they left the boat and their father and followed him. 
Look at what it says in verse 23. He went throughout all Galilee, teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction among the people. And then folks started to notice that there ain't nobody like Jesus. So his fame, verse 24, spread throughout all Syria, and they brought him all the sick, those afflicted with various diseases and pains, those oppressed by demons those having seizures and paralytics, and he healed them. And great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and Judea and from beyond the Jordan. Did you notice how folks started to realize there's something different about this man? There's something unique about this man. There's something about him that is unlike anybody else. And he went from this point in his life, and in those short three and a half years, set himself apart from every other person who has ever walked the face of this earth. Why did Jesus have that kind of influence? Why does Jesus still continue to have such an influence? How can a man impact an entire world some 2,000 years after he has died? What is it about Jesus that puts him in a class all by himself? Great questions you just asked. My job's to answer those, okay? So here are three things that make Jesus unlike anybody else. First, what Jesus said was different. What Jesus said was different. When you study, when you analyze the response of people who heard Jesus teach, you quickly come to the conclusion that he was the greatest teacher who ever lived. That when he said something, he spoke it with truth and authority. In fact, John chapter 7 verse 15 says, the Jews marveled saying, how is it that this man has learning and he's never studied? He didn't been to seminary, they said, and he has all this learning. He's saying things we've never heard before. No one has ever spoke like this man. What Jesus said, what Jesus taught was different from that of any other person, so much so that the next chapter, we won't go there this morning, but in Matthew chapter 5, when he preaches the Sermon on the Mount, multitudes of people came to hear the words that he said. It's important for you and I this morning, I believe, to understand why his teaching was so different, why what he said was so different, and how that had such an impact and such an influence today just as it did when he was on this earth. You see, when Jesus spoke, he always spoke the truth. When Jesus said something, what he said was always the truth, and he spoke it truthfully. Other people who influence others may speak truth, but they don't only speak truth or perfectly speak truth or absolutely or completely speak the truth. Jesus was different. 
In Matthew chapter 22 and verse 16, some of his followers looked at him and they said, Teacher, (coughs) teacher, we know that you are true and teach the way of God truthfully. Here is why this is important for us. Because Jesus always spoke the truth. We can trust every single thing he says. And when you trust everything that Jesus says, you will experience a freedom that leads you out of deception to walk in the newness of life. This is why Jesus said, you will know the truth, and the truth, it will do what? It will set you free to be who God has created us to be. When Jesus spoke, he always spoke truth, and when Jesus spoke, he spoke with divine authority. The the, the teachings of Jesus have authority because they were taught by one who had and still has perfect divine authority. And when Jesus, Matthew 7, 28, and when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowds were astonished at his teaching for he was teaching them as one who had authority. Here's the implication, don't miss him, of this authority. What Jesus says, what Jesus teaches sets the standard. Not politics, no president whether he's an elephant, a donkey, or a green tea, or whatever else he is, he or she is. No president sets the authority above God. No culture sets the authority above God. No book you read outside of Scripture sets the authority above what Jesus said. Jesus sets the standard because he is the authority. You see, with other people of influence, there's always a greater authority. Not so with Jesus because he's God. And when you're God, you have all authority. And if you don't believe that, let me ask you this. Any of you ever won an argument with God? Anyone? Okay, point taken. He has all authority. So what Jesus said is different because he always spoke the truth and he always spoke with authority, but, but Jesus makes it possible for his teaching to be followed. Oh, at times... People of influence will ask us to do something, and and while we should strive to do it, we'll we'll never be able to do it, nor will the person asking us to do it be able to do it. Look, I I will never be able to eradicate a disease. I, I will never be able to stop world hunger. I will never be able to end the threat of of global terrorism. What what people may ask of me, what influencers may, may ask of me, I'm not able to do. Jesus was different. While calling us to do some very lofty things, don't miss this, Jesus enables us to do what he calls us to do. 
You see, Jesus doesn't call us to do something or to be someone without equipping us to accomplish what he teaches us to do or to become who he's called us to be. In fact, Jesus gave us himself, Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit so that we could follow his teaching, so we could do what he has said. Hebrews 13 verse 20 says, now may the God of peace equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Jesus was different in that he causes us to be what he calls us to be. I'm going to repeat that. I'm not charging you a dime for that line this morning. He's different in that he causes us to be what he calls us to be. He will never call us to something that he does not equip us to do it. You see, when Jesus was teaching us, his goal is not just to inform us. His goal is not just to inspire us. The goal of the words of Jesus are to transform us, to make us into who he has called us to be. Jesus did not come to this earth. Jesus did not give us instructions to follow or even an example to emulate. The goal of what he said and taught is to make us more like him by transforming who we are, not just what we do. There ain't nobody like Jesus, because what he said was different. Second, what Jesus did was different. What Jesus said was different, but also what he did was different. How he acted and lived was unlike anyone else. And and you really see this in, in, in a few different ways. See, Jesus did only what God could do. Jesus did only what God could do. He did things that defied explanation. He performed miracles. He healed the sick. He raised the dead. He cast out demons. He changed the water into grape juice or sweet tea. He did, (coughs) that's the Baptist verse in the Bible. The earth and the elements of the earth, they all obeyed him. In fact, one time when he calmed a a very stormy sea, the men marveled and they said, what sort of man is this that, that even the seas and the winds obey him? Jesus was able to do only what God could do because he was God more than a mere man. Take heart in this truth this morning. The Savior that you follow and the Lord that you trust is greater than all others because he is God himself. He did only what God could do, but Jesus also did only what God would do. Not just what God could do, but what God would do. Jesus had an unswerving commitment 
to do the will of God every minute of every hour of every single day. His life was devoted to doing only what God had called him to do. Remember when Mary and Joseph lose Jesus? And they find him in the temple. They find him teaching at the church, teaching a Sunday school class. Now, children, unless your name is Jesus, do not do this to your parents, okay? But Mary and Joseph found him, and they said, Jesus, what are you doing? And Jesus said, no, 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 no. You don't get it. I must be about my father's business. He said, I've, I've got one job. That's to do what God the Father is calling me to do. When those Pharisees confronted him once in in John chapter 6, Jesus said, no, I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but to do the will of him who sent me. In the Garden of Gethsemane, when Jesus could have done maybe what he would have selfishly wanted to do, no, he could only do what God would do when he prayed, not my will, but your will be done. Whether he was living as a boy at home, whether he's going to the Jordan River for his baptism or facing temptations in the wilderness, whether he was preaching to the crowds or ministering to an individual, Jesus was absolutely devoted to doing the will of God. God. There's nobody like him because he did only what God could do and he only did what God would do. But Jesus did exactly what we needed him to do. Jesus showed us that God loves all people. In fact, Jesus got a reputation from those religious folk Religious folk are the worst, I tell you. (laughs) Jesus had so many issues with those religious folk. When Jesus was hanging around the people no one else would hang around, they said, he's a friend of drunkards and gluttons. Jesus was showing them that God loved them. Jesus was doing for them exactly what they needed him to do, See, we need more than an example. We need more than an inspiration. We need a Savior. We need someone who can cancel the debt of our sin. We need someone who can take our sin and remove it as far as the east is from the west. We need someone... That God would show us in his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us exactly what we needed. There ain't nobody like Jesus. He did for us what no one else could or would do. What Jesus said was different. What Jesus did was different. Number three, what Jesus did not do was different. What Jesus did not do was different. There's at least one thing that everybody except Jesus has done. We're going to give you a hint. It's three letters. Starts with S, ends with N, I's in the middle. 
That's your sin. What is the one thing that everyone except Jesus has done? Sin. Okay, for the other two-thirds of you, that's pitiful. I gave you the answer twice. <laughs> Hebrews 4.15 says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Think about this. Never, not once, did Jesus disobey God in word, thought, action, inaction, or motive. Now, you may be tempted to say, whoa, 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 whoa. The Bible wouldn't mention his faults. I mean, this is a guy you're trying to puff up, you're trying to stand up. The Bible would intentionally omit his sin. I find that hard to follow because nowhere does Scripture gloss over or whitewash the failures of people, even the heroes of our faith. The Bible shows us Noah's drunkenness. The Bible shows us Abraham's fear and lying. The Bible shows us Moses and his pride. The Bible shows us Samson's weakness. The the Bible shows us David's lust. The Bible shows us Elijah's self-pity. The Bible shows us the selfishness of James and John. The Bible shows us Peter's incompetence consistency. The Bible shows us the impatience of Paul, but not once does any biblical writer even hint of a shadow of sin in Jesus. They talk about his temptation. They talk about his troubles. They talk about his trials, but they never talk about his sin because there is none. There's none. Ain't nobody like him. Because he did not do what every single one of us has done are doing and will do. Here's why that's so important. The atonement of sin demanded a perfect sacrifice according to the Old Testament. The perfection of Christ qualified him and him alone to be our Savior. There ain't nobody like Jesus because there is no other way to have a relationship with God other than this man, Jesus. For our sake, our sake, God made him, Jesus, to be sin who knew no sin so that in him and Jesus we might become the righteousness of God because he is sinless. He can forgive my sin. No one else can do that. There ain't nobody like Jesus. Absolutely no one. What he said was different. What he did was different. And what he did not do was different. And because of his uniqueness and because of his divinity, his influence continues to be great and his impact is still intact some 2,000 years after his death. So the question before you today is what are you going to do with this man, 
named Jesus. Because you've got to do something with him. You say, no, 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 I don't have to make this. Oh, yes, you do. To ignore him is to do something with him. To resist him is to do something with him. I can tell you what we all will do before him one day, this man Jesus, according to Philippians chapter 2. We are all going to bow our knee before him. And we're all going to confess that there ain't nobody like Jesus. We may not use those words. I might, but I don't know if we're going to use those words. But we will confess that Jesus is Lord. As will you. Would you confess him as Lord today? For that leads to salvation and eternal life. To confess him as Lord on judgment day is simply your acknowledgement of who he is, but it doesn't lead to salvation. So, as I've said before, if you're going to confess him as Lord anyway, you ain't got a choice, you will. Why not do it now? where it brings salvation. Why not do it now where it brings eternal life? Why not do it now where it brings abundant life? God's goal is not just to get you to heaven. God's goal is to get heaven into you. Why don't you just surrender to him today? You're going to surrender one day. It's just in that day it leads to condemnation. Today, it leads to salvation. What are you going to do with Jesus? Would you trust him today? Would you bow with me this morning? I'm going to pray. After I pray, we're going to stand and we're going to sing. As you answer that question today, what are you going to do with Jesus? If, if you were at the point in your walk toward the Lord that you are ready to trust him, that you're ready to put your faith in him. We would love to share with you how that happens and more fully in a private setting what Jesus has done for you. And if your decision today is that you're going to trust him, that you realize there, there ain't nobody like him. When we sing, would you just come down this, this aisle and just say, Pastor, I, I, I want to talk to someone about what it means to follow Jesus. We've got men and women all over this room who would love to share with you how you can make Jesus your Savior and Lord. I don't know what God's calling you to do. I don't know what Jesus is placing before you. All I know is there's nobody like him. And whatever he's calling you to do, he's calling you to do so that you'll become more like him. So would you simply say yes? And trust him today. Father God, I thank you for Jesus. I thank you that there is no one like him. That what he said was different, what he did was different, and what he did not do was different. And in dying on the cross for our sins, he makes it possible for us to have a relationship with this great God that you are. Whatever you're calling us to do today, Father, would you help us simply obey? In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand and sing.